0: Check the mic and make sure it
1: sounds right, boys. The Broom Wagon Podcast is proud to present you Drop to Flat, the story of a clumsy gravel cyclist that wants to join the mountain bike world. This guy is so clumsy that he can barely use his drops while going downhill on gravel terrain. Can you imagine him on a mountain bike? Yes, you are talking about me, I'm talking about me, Calamaro, really clumsy cyclist. So this podcast is dropped to flat and is supported by Komoot and thanks a lot Komoot and remember if you want to get some advantage of your free region you can just go to komoot.com slash g like Greenland and put in the section for the code broom and then you can just enjoy it. So why Kalamata wants to join the mountain bike world? Well easy here I am in Zurich in kind of the mountain bike paradise because you have trails all over the city at least talking about city center I have one in front of me literally in front of me I have the Hungerberg. and really close there is also the Altberg and then there is the Zurichberg and then there is the infamous Utliberg. and there are at least five more that I'm forgetting just here in the city center so for this reason I have a lot of mountain bike friends and if I have to remember many people of the Mountain Bike Circus are actually from here, from Switzerland. Yolanda Neff, of course, there is Ariane Lutti, and then there is Nino Schulter, And then there is usually the EWS here in Zermatt. And then there is Engadine, that is also super famous for mountain bikes. Kur is also... You know what I mean, right? Mountain bike here in Switzerland is everywhere. And actually I believe that if you don't get there on a road bike with a single track, you can arrive in any Alpine pass. So it's time to discover something, right? But because I'm not in situation literally about space, because I don't have room in my place anymore for new bicycles, and also financially, I don't have enough, um, let's say I have too much space in my bank account, so I cannot buy a mountain bike, I decided to talk first of all with the community. And I've done it with the Alpha of six different guests. I'm going to talk with Corey today. We're going to talk about all technicalities and stuff, then we will talk with a coach and we're going to talk about techniques we will talk about community and we are going to talk with an amazing character you will know whom i'm talking about and then traveling with the mountain bike and then the last episode is going to be planning your mountain bike trip i'm super excited and if you are as excited as i am just bear with me for the next five episodes and we are going to have a lot of fun and remember that if you want to support me you can just just yeah, go to any kind of the platform where you are listening to this podcast and subscribe rate and comment wherever you can and remember to share it with your friends anybody who is into mountain bikes or wants to join the mountain bike world oh don't care but likes my voice and my accent just please feel free to do it and another way actually to support me is just Yes, I just set up a coffee account, so if you like this podcast and you want to support me and all my production it's in whatever way, just I'm talking about money, just go on the coffee uh, website is ko-fi.com slash podcast, and you can get me a coffee there and I will be super happy. It's super easy, you can use your PayPal, just a bit of support, it's always good to have. But let's jump into the... No, before jumping into the interview, I just want to tell you another thing. Super easy here as well. If you want to know a bit more about tips and stuff on how to plan your route, your mountain bike route on commute, you have two ways of doing it the first one and you have to do the both of them clearly first of all just go till the end of the episode actually listen to everything till the end of the episode and there you're gonna find one tip from myself in any episode and then in the episode number five of drop to flat there's gonna be eleanor and gabby talking almost exclusively about that and also a lot of chat and a lot of fun and everything before going to the episode i have also another thing to say thanks a lot to little james arnold look for him in the instagram he's a super good illustrator and animator who made the cover for this podcast and also the awesome animation that you can see on my instagram account calamaro cc for presenting this podcast is great and he has as well an e-commerce and he makes amazing things and i have also one of his prints people just go on his account, support him as much as you can, because he's not only because he supports me in any stupid thing that I ask him, but as well, because he's a super talented guy and he deserves it. Oh gosh, I need to say another thing before starting the episode. Remember the COVID jar. Every time that I'm mentioning COVID or lockdown or whatever, I'm gonna drop a coin on this jar. And at the end of the season, I mean, in June or July, All the money that are into the jar are going to go directly to support the crew of Sea-Watch that are helping and saving people in Central Mediterranean Sea. Thanks a lot Sea-Watch. Cory, today is going to be about him and it's going to be the perfect introduction on this podcast, on this mini-series, because we talked about everything. Vocabulary, technicalities, washing the bike, everything. And remember that when we recorded this episode, Still Drop to Flat was not the name. Of the podcast, I still didn't have the title, but at that time was just in another way. But it was still in the spirit. Drop to flat. Listen to that. I will talk to you at the end. Cool. Then we are gonna kick off together with my friend Cory this first episode of the mini series that I still don't know is this name. Actually, it's moving from gravel to mountain bike on the other side way around. I thought about Beyond Fire Roads could be a good topic, a good title. What do you think about that, Cory? Beyond, Beyond Fire, Fire Roads? Roads? I don't
0: know. Maybe. I think maybe just we'll run through uh, talking for an hour and see what comes out. We might stumble upon a name in the meantime.
1: Yes, uh, let me take then... Uh, notebook and my pen, because I think that a lot of important and nice things are going to come out for from our conversation. So the basic idea of this mini-series, I'm going to say only now, because it's episode number one, is everybody is... So something like the buzzword on everybody now is gravel riding. And in order to go really into dirt roads, a lot of roadies move to gravel. But what's beyond that? What's beyond the fire roads, what's beyond everything like that? What's into the mountain bike world? Which one are the difference? Which one are things that we can talk about? And then I thought, okay, why don't talk directly with Cody and one of the few people that I know that made the move the other way around. So from mountain bike to gravel, and you can notice from the way that you handle your bike. So here we go. We're going to start this conversation. And why am I talking with you? Well, I would say that probably you can start on that and giving us a little intro about yourself.
0: Sure. Uh, So I'm the uh, European tech editor for Bike Rumor. Uh, Basically, I am a mountain biker. I don't say I'm a gravel rider. I will never admit that I ride anything other than mountain bikes, yet somehow I spend more time in drop bars than I do on a flat bar. Uh, a lot of that just comes out of the fact that it's so convenient to hop on the gravel bike and, and feel like you're uh, off, off road and pushing the limits kind of where more quickly right from home. Uh, so, yeah, I, I basically cover all kinds of bicycle tech. I am uh, have a kind of a technical engineering background, uh, d- engineering design background, but I've also worked in bike shops uh, probably since I was in high school. Um, And yeah, so, and that was when I really started mountain biking quite seriously when I was maybe 13 or 14 years old or something like that, when mountain bikes essentially look like, uh, gravel bikes do now. And so that's, that's kind of the interesting thing really to talk about, uh, how the move from mountain bike or from gravel bikes to mountain bikes is for me, it's not really a move. It's not much difference. Um, and the, the kind of, uh, technology has progressed so much in that time sense, uh, whatever in the last, uh, we'll just say 20 something years, uh, 25 years, maybe, maybe more than that. Um, where the, you know, a modern gravel bike is way more capable than an early mountain bike. Uh, and so kind of coming from that, that technical really rough, so I I guess stepping back from that, I, I'm originally from the U S from the East coast of the U S um, Uh, basically learn to mountain bike in the Appalachian mountains, which are smaller mountains in the U S but they, uh, are the, basically the roughest, super, super rocky, super technical, where you literally were riding, uh, measuring rides in, in, in time, not in distance because it takes, it was moving so slow, uh, and really moving from kind of one rock to the next, uh, that kind of ends up becoming, a a good basis now for what I do more of now where, you know, gravel riding is like road riding, except you measure it in time, not in distance again, because it's about kind of going slower and experiencing, you know, or experiencing basically having an experience outside riding your bike rather than just trying to to rack up kilometers or something like that. Um, Yeah. Now I've, I've basically lived in Europe for the last 15 years. Uh, My job is essentially to report on, uh, test try to break and and review all the new and latest bike tech uh and that can mean you know new bikes or new wheels or uh you know new new types of suspension or all kinds of things um i definitely have a very technical background i guess that's two ways of being technical so one technical on the mountain bike i like to ride really rough technical terrain but also from a uh, a bike tech, uh, bike technology background where I really like to get into the into the weeds, into the into the fine details of those types of things. And I try to focus a lot on European brands. That's essentially uh, why I'm here in Europe for bike rumor. Bike rumor is kind of big global uh, you know we're the largest cycling tech blog in the world. Originally started in the US, but we've got just just over half of the readers are in uh, US and Canada. And a little bit less, you know, something in the 40, 45% are kind of coming from Europe, uh, EU, UK kind of thing. Uh, And so, yeah, I'm on the ground here looking at European brands and trying to kind of be in touch with them. and. And ride as much as possible as I
1: can here. Yeah, it sounds really, really awesome. Uh, jumping into the conversation of making the move, as I was saying, just don't think about yourself because you are pretty skilled, and actually you saw all the evolution of mountain bikes. You're going to talk about that as well. Uh, but do you think that makes sense for a normal, normal Joe like I am? So I started with fixed gear, then I went into roads, especially climbing, uphills and stuff. Then gravel cycling because of a bit more the exploring side, the touring side, that was always anyways in my bones from the beginning. I was never the one uh, chasing KOMs. I was still a bit more in the chitty-chatting and exploring places. But then uh, Fixed, and then road bikes, and then now gravel bikes, and thinking about moving to mountain bikes do you think that that's an evolution and a move that makes sense first and second thing that i want to ask you is still in the same way what are uh, the reasons why to make the move or not to make the move one thing to take in consideration i'm the worst downhiller ever going in the sense yes, on the drop bar okay <laughs> drop bar downhill for me it's I don't know, I need to, I got confidence in the year, but I still suck.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, of course, it's logical, you know, you make the, the, if you made the transition from riding on smooth asphalt to riding on gravel and dirt roads, uh, you're not going to stop. You have to go to mountain bikes as well. Uh, I, but I, 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 I'm I not too worried about the distinctions, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, of course, it, the distinction is, you know, which bike you're buying and whether you are shopping in the in the gravel department or the mountain bike department, but it's really the same. I mean. You know that's the kind of beauty of it. It's it's all just blurred lines from one to the next. Um, yeah, of course I I come from it, come to it from the other side. I started to ride road bikes uh, and fixed gears in you know really only just as transportation, kind of getting around when I lived in in the city in, uh, for university. Um, but you know the, the the idea that people are moving to gravel for an experience of nature or more connection to the outside or uh, you know, less of a, a racing oriented experience, of course you're going to keep, keep going. And I think everybody should, and everyone should be, I think, I think you shouldn't be afraid uh, to, to basically ride your gravel bike, like a mountain bike when you want to, and you shouldn't be afraid to try a mountain bike. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, you know, a lot, as I was saying, a lot of modern gravel bikes are way more capable than, uh, than mountain bikes were of, you know, in kind of the, in the past or even in the relatively recent past, to be honest. Um, and my kind of philosophy is if it has disc brakes, it's a mountain bike. Um, I love it. so you can ride it off road. Um, I definitely test, you know, new road gear and then, you know, turn up with the things covered in mud at the end of the ride. Um, you know, there, you basically are the only thing that's limiting you are basically Grip going up and grip going down. So that means tires for off-road riding. So um, if you have the wider tires you get, the more mountain bike terrain you're going to ride. I ride anything on dirt, hard pack dirt. You know, you can ride a a 28 millimeter road tire on the dirt and it's a blast. Uh, It's a lot of fun. Um, And you start to realize then that, okay, well, maybe a 33 millimeter cyclocross tire is a little bit better. And then you realize that oh, that's that thirty eight millimeter gravel tire. And then you're like oh, a forty five millimeter gravel tire will fit in my bike. And all of a sudden you're on twenty by two point two inch mountain bike tires because they fit inside of your gravel bike. Yeah. Uh, you know. So the tires, of course, are you know make it really make the capability. And of course the braking helps, but that's necessary. But really, at this point. Everybody's bike has great brakes. Like nobody has bad brakes anymore, or at least not on any newish bike. Um, and that's that's a huge game changer because that was always a big limiting factor. Um, even in kind of the early mountain biking, cross country days, it was always a fight to get more braking power so that you could actually stop in this rough terrain. Uh, and now you don't have to worry about that at all. So braking is pretty much out of the qu- question. It's something that you need to worry about. It's just it's it's really. Uh, traction and and control that comes from your tires, or then the move to full suspension uh, or some suspension, you know, whether that's, um, you know, a gravel suspension fork, which is, you know, these tiny little short travel things, whether it's a a conventional mountain bike fork, um, but, you know, in 40 or 60 centimeters of travel or something, or something kind of more uh, avant-garde or more interesting with something like a Lauf uh, suspension fork. Um, but then, you know, now you can buy a, a full suspension Niner, the MCR Magic Carpet Ride, which is a full suspension gravel bike that um, we, we you know we've taken bike packing touring off road. You know, it's crazy. But in reality, it's a it's basically Well, it's the same travel of my first full suspension mountain bike I had in the 90s. Um, and, you know, that's completely insane. But it's a way better suspension than my first full suspension bike had. So, you know, I, I think you just, the lines are so blurred. It's, uh, it's, you totally should try it. You know, you totally should say, oh, well, um, what's the difference between riding a, a, a flat bike, flat bar gravel bike and, a and a cross country hardtail. It's like, oh, well, actually it might be the same thing <laughs> okay. or, you know, you just do whatever you you know whatever you have a chance to, and you'll enjoy it. You know the whole idea is is more time outside, more time away from traffic, away from you know away from other users that are kind of conflict, right? So one of the big moves away from the road is road riding is awesome. You yeah. know, road riding is great. Climbing mountains in the Alps is amazing uh, until there's cars, and then
1: it's terrible. It's yeah, uh,
0: and then all of a sudden you're like, oh wait, this isn't as fun because there's a, you know, there's giant metal box that's flying around the road at, you know, 90 kilometers an hour. And all of a sudden, I don't feel kind of uh, safe and comfortable in, in nature like I did before. That's where the gravel bike really becomes awesome is you end up on these roads that you just can't, you know, those cars can't go there, or, you know, the all the other users you end up meeting are people like you, who are also on gravel bikes, or oddly enough, oftentimes on mountain bikes. Um, and you'll, you know, you'll see that, you start to get more like-minded kind of interactions with people and mountain bikes the same way. You know, the more, more mountain biking you do, the more you end up on the same kind of terrain that other mountain bikers are there. Uh, and, and while, you know, people come in and this is, this is totally my bias as a mountain biker. Yeah. Um, but roadies are more of clickish, cliquish, right? There's more, uh, competitiveness from one roadie to the next. And, you know, Oh, can you, what if a if a group of, of ten roadies goes by and you just want to hop on and go for a ride with them, they're gonna give you some dirty looks if you don't know who they are. Uh, but if you're riding along on a bike packing bike, like fully loaded down, and some gravel riders go by, they're gonna like cheer you on to come follow them. You know, they're, uh it's a it's a much more of kind of an inclusive type of riding, uh, which is is something that's yeah, is really interesting. I mean, it's one of the really nice things about uh, gravel is Sure, there's races, um, and you know you can go super fast, and you can ride against people who go super fast. But it's pretty much always accepted that if you want to ride a gravel bike slow, it's totally acceptable, um, and no one's gonna really, no one's gonna look down at you at all by wanting to go slow on a gravel bike, and you know do more exploring, uh, you know take the wrong turn just because you're curious what's on the top of that hill, uh, and that's very much the same kind of. Uh, feeling that you get a lot uh, a lot with mountain biking as well and that's more kind of the more modern trail riding mountain bike which is this kind of catch all that used to just be called mountain biking um, where it's less about competition it's not cross country racing it's not downhill racing it's literally getting on a bike and going for a ride anywhere you want and everyone should be able to do that Yeah. plus riding a mountain bike is going to make you a better gravel rider Um, it will make you go around corners faster. It will make you not touch your brakes because you don't need your brakes. Okay. (laughs) Uh, it will make you appreciate, uh, the grip you have and the grip you don't have. Um, you know, I, I ride a lot with, I'd say I only really ride with one person who I think is similar in the kind of technical capability on a mountain bike as me that I ride gravel with. I'm sure that I ride some mountain biking with people who are, Uh, stronger mountain bikers more fit than me better scale or something like that and definitely i do a lot of product testing or kind of you know generally that used to be something that we did together uh hasn't been so much lately but you know you'll ride with people of all, all different backgrounds um but riding gravel bikes with people who are uh more kind of technical mountain bikers you really realize that it's a lot of fun to slide around the corners yeah like you know, people, people talk about, I was just having this discussion about what's better for gravel tire, a slick tire mm-hmm. or a knobby tire. And I think it depends like uh, a road rider that gets into gravel riding probably wants that knobby tire because they want the confidence of a knobby tire in the loose stuff, loose corners. Where a mountain biker who gets into gravel riding maybe likes a slick tire because, you know, you slide around, like, drifting's fun. You know, I have no problems. My, probably my kind of two favorite, uh, newish or modern uh, gravel tires are slicks. So there's like you know the 650b Horizon from WTB. Yeah. Is it looks like a road tire? It's just like a massive road tire. And and now Challenge has a 40 millimeter version. That's a similar kind of concept on the 700c. And both of them, you know, you can run like stupid low pressures, like you know, 25, 30 psi. Oh, wow. Um, and they have grip and. And, but the thing is, is they, you don't expect them to have grip. You know, you, you look at a slick tire, it's got little herringbone file tread or something on it, but you, you expect it's going to slide. So, you know, okay, it's going to slide. So I'm going to go fast in this corner and I'm going to be ready to just like drift through the turn. You don't unclip, I'm just going to drift through it. And then it has grip and you're shocked and surprised and you go even faster. <laughs> We're like on the other side, if, if, if you have this big, nasty, knobby, you know, mountain bike tire. And you go through a turn, and you expect it to have infinite grip. Not, not, no tire has infinite grip. They all will break loose at some point. And so, when you are on the mountain bike tire, sliding through on your gravel bike, and you think, "Oh, it's going to have grip. It's going to have grip," and it doesn't. That's when you end up laying on the ground. Uh, and so, you know, there's kind of a, a different way, really, to look at it. Is you know whether you want to whether you want to ride kind of fast and you know maybe enjoy the slide, or or whether you're kind of searching for a little more. Uh, reliable, or I don't know, reliability
1: or predictability. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. It's a great introduction, I would say, Corey. But seems like <laughs> uh, actually there is this famous quote from Richie. I don't remember his first name. Richie of Richie Logic that says every bike is a gravel bike. You are basically pushing the yeah. borders, right? But the boundary is even far, uh, even further. So for you, every bike is also a mountain bike or at least heavy gravel bike at the moment yeah. is also a mountain bike right then where's sure. the difference is in the terrain that you're riding why should you make the the move because you're getting into gnarlier trails or a bit more technical terrains
0: it's in your mind but also <laughs> blasphemy for not uh not knowing tom Ritchie's name that it doesn't just come out of your head i think you could uh, you know get in some good gravel trouble for not uh, having Tom Ritchie stuck in your brain. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. I probably I'm gonna edit it,
1: man. I'm gonna edit it because yeah, Tom Richie <sighs> exactly.
0: We just edit that out, and everything's fine. Yeah. Um. No, but uh, you know, really, where do you draw the line? How do you, you know, I, I don't think there is a line. I mean, the, the real logical line is, uh, tire size and your handlebar. Um, and I mean those are completely arbitrary, but uh, a mountain bike. Is when you have a flat handlebar and you have a tire that's wider than two inches.
1: Okay. Um, that you're calculating the uh, size in inches instead of millimeters. I would say.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when you start you start measuring your tires in <laughs> inches, that's when you've gone to mountain bike. You've gone to the dark side. So you're a mountain biker now. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. If you if you talk about that same tire and you say you have a a six fifty B by fifty five millimeter tire you're a gravel rider um but when you say it's when you say it's 27.5 by 2.2 2 inch tires it's, it's you're a are a mount biker now so that's, okay that's probably actually the cleanest division really is measuring how you measure your tires in inches or in, in millimeters um but of course the the handlebar is the kind of real distinction now because the, the tires blend back and forth i mean you know now there's even 700c uh gravel tires that are that are 50 millimeters and that's you know that's a, that's a mountain bike tire. There's no, there's no arguing. There's no, it's a 29 or a mountain bike tire when you talk about a 55 millimeter gravel tire. So, um, the handlebars are more of a distinction and that's mainly just, um, the preference and how you want control of the bike. Uh, you know, both a flat bar and a drop bar have their place. Um, and on a gravel bike, of course, the, the drop bar tends to have more hand positions. Uh, and tends to support the idea that you're going to ride on the bike for longer periods of time. So you need to move your hands around. You need to move around on the bike. Some sense of you thinking that you want to be more aero or, you know, a more uh, aggressive kind of forward-leaning position. Uh, where on the mountain bike, uh, it's more about kind of sitting up, being a little more relaxed perhaps, um, but definitely in a more attack-ready position that's good for riding steeper, uh, tougher, rougher terrain. You know, they're, they're different bars of course for mountain bikes as well. Um I, I ride some weird mountain bars mountain bike bars as well. Uh, you know, whether we're talking about like Jones H bars, you know, these big weird flared bars. Um, you know, my the first mountain bike that I brought to Europe when I moved here 15 years ago has a drop bar on it now. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's definitely the line is super blurry. Yeah. Um I that, that bike has a rigid carbon fork and and a, like a seventy two centimeter wide uh gravel drop bar, which is a monstrous weird thing in itself. But um I think it, it basically comes more down to how, what you're comfortable with in holding onto the bike and operating the brakes. So you know whether some riders don't like uh you know the combined uh drop uh drop bar, brake lever and shifter. Um and you know that's definitely definitely a very different feeling. Uh, to ride on the tops of a set of of drop bars and you're, you know, you're reaching for this integrated SDI, whatever, brifter, that's a good one to cause some trouble with people is the the word brifter, Uh, the combined brake lever shifter. Um, You know, that's, that's one thing. And some people don't like that. A lot of people, especially newer riders off road um, with smaller hands, don't like them as much because there's less kind of stability and control. Um, and you know, then a, a simple mountain bike uh, handlebar setup is a is an easier thing to kind of manage. It's easier to manage just a simple brake lever and simple you know tr- trigger shifters as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Seems like, anyways, uh, getting so something like okay, the bar, something like flat bar and drop bar depends on actually which one is your favorite position. For example, for me, I can I'm learning that and actually I got way better than before but for sure if you have a drop bar it means that actually you have to put your hands there in order for a better stability especially in the off-road. The point is that if you don't feel comfortable on doing that then there is not so much sense of so just riding your gravel bike for all this time just on the tops.
0: Yeah I mean and even then you know the mountain bike bars there's a huge variety just in the, in the back sweep. Um, some people like a super wide bar some people like a lot of back sweep and it's pretty individual, but it's again, you know, just trying to get get a position that somebody feels comfortable on riding off-road. I mean, you're gonna ride a gravel bike off-road. I you know, for sure, somebody who's really riding a gravel bike to its kind of potential is gonna end up on mountain bike trails. You know, it doesn't mean you're riding a downhill that
1: happens to me as well. I mean it's not you're
0: not riding like a downhill bike park or anything, although the bike park park that I like that's kind of this Czech local one. It's not so far away, um one of the kind of best, um, most technically advanced uh, mountain bikers kind of of all time is a Czech rider, Mikhail Prokop, mm-hmm. uh, who won a bunch of like four, four cross world championships back in the days. And he organizes a great gravel race uh, in the Czech Republic, the um, oh, really? Gravel Blind Duro. Um, and he also, you know, he goes to the bike, he's gone to the bike park a couple of times with his gravel bike. And you're like, oh, well, you know, it's clearly there's a certain point where it's the bike not the you know or it's the rider not the bike you know so you can ride you can ride that gravel bike pretty much anywhere
1: <laughs> yeah so. makes sense so let's jump into the really technical things then now so you were we were mentioning since the beginning that basically a gravel bike now is more or less a rigid mountain bike of i don't know end of the 80s beginning of 90s same thing but yeah,
0: maybe yeah, definitely beginning of the '90s, maybe even mid '90s. <laughs> okay, I mean for for sure the the first uh, mountain bike that I bought in like new mountain bike I probably bought in '93. It has less travel. It has the same travel front travel as you have in in some you know gravel bikes that have you know suspension fork, uh, and but the suspension forks you buy now are so much better. So even though it had that travel it was kind of like just a spring it was just bouncing you up and down uh we're like now modern suspension is so much better damped, that you actually get you know much much better uh control and and comfort on the bike yeah Uh, and the brakes are so much better that it's another world and the tires as well the tires are a whole nother world
1: yeah so so yeah rigid mountain bike aside making the move where do you think you should or you need to move. Because we have different categories. It's not like anything else. Different categories that can be XC, or so cross-country, can be trail bikes, can be enduro bike, can be downhill bike. We can name even more, probably, trail bike, or yeah, whatever yeah, it is. Sure. Uh, where do you think is the right let's say, position to land? It's
0: tricky. I think, it you know, again, it comes down to what you're looking for and, it, and what you're coming from. You know, like, so you know, if you, if you, if your gravel bike is a full suspension, nine or MCR, uh, it doesn't make sense for you to buy a mountain bike that's less capable. than that, Right. <laughs> of course. Um, and if, and if you ride a, uh, a, you know, a, a steel gravel bike with uh, 2.2 inch tires already, you probably don't, it doesn't make sense to get a similar kind of uh, mountain bike. You know, I think it's, you just make a logical step depending on, on what you're really looking for. Um, I, I would say that the uh, most rational uh, mountain bike to start on is probably a a trail bike, Mm -hmm. a hardtail. And that means you're looking at something that's probably uh, 120 to 140 millimeter travel fork uh, and probably a metal frame.
1: Um, really? aluminum aluminum you mean.
0: aluminum steel titanium mm. it doesn't matter it depends on you basically those that determination is literally just whatever your budget is okay um, just because that's a simple step um, you're gonna end up with a much bigger tire you know you're gonna end up riding uh, 2.4 inch tires uh, maybe 2.6 inch tires um, and the susp- front suspension is going to give you a lot of capability but it's not such a huge investment like the bike you should buy, is a carbon 140 millimeter trail bike so you have 140 millimeters in the back maybe maybe 130 in the back 140 in the front or 140 in the back 150 in the front and it's a lightweight carbon trail bike it's going to be awesome you're going to have you know it's a 29er maybe probably a 29er with wide carbon rims uh 2.4 inch tires and it's going to be amazing but it's also going to cost you like absolutely six grand or eight grand you know it's going to cost a ton of money, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, 6,000 euros or something like that. And that's, that's great. If you have kind of that unlimited budget and you'll have a lot of fun with that. Um, but I think you don't need to make that biggest step, uh, you know, to, to kind of enjoy a lot of the same benefits. Um, you know, it's just like a gravel bike in reality. Like sure there's super bikes, um, but there's also bikes that are just fun to ride. And it's really, it's really hard to beat a, a fun-to-ride modern trail bike where you're looking at a hardtail that you might be able to buy something steel and cheap and it'll weigh you know two kilos more than the the lightweight carbon one but you know if you wanted a lightweight carbon bike you probably already have a lightweight carbon road bike or a gravel bike yeah so, you know do is that really what you need in a mountain bike the whole point in going to mountain bike is actually to have a medium longer travel suspension fork. Okay. Um, and, and slack geometry so that you can go downhill fast. Um, cause you can go already go uphill. You can go up any, your gravel bike will go up any single mountain bike trail you've ever been, uh, faster. Um, and the trails that are so rough that you think the gravel bike won't go up faster. Uh, it'll be faster if you to get off and push your gravel bike than it will be to get off and push your, <laughs> your, your, you know, big enduro bike. <laughs> of course. Um, Cause there's a certain point where steep technical trails are really tough to ride. And like I ride up a lot, a lot of steep technical trails where I get to the top and like the person I'm riding with just walked right next to me the whole time and spent way less energy um, because I'm like, I can do it. I can get over this up, up <laughs> yeah. rock garden and I can, but like, what's the cost, you know? What's yeah. that? So, so I mean, the that hardtail trail bike I think can be a lot of fun and really open you up to more, more stuff. You know, if you're already on a, a, a gravel bike that has some suspension, you're probably going to want to go to a full suspension bike. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where it'll make more sense to go to that, that trail bike. And, and of course, you know, on starting in a, in a kind of a mountain bike, the difference between a a carbon frame and aluminum frame, uh, is going to be like half the price. And, maybe a kilo of difference yeah so the weight difference is pretty minor um and yeah so you'll, you'll get a lot you'll get a lot more performance about out of a, um uh, an aluminum bike and you know of course a lot of gravel riders are very uh idealistic and so they will say well i want a steel bike or i want to type tit- i'm only going to buy a titanium bike and i can see that so you know those people the people who ha- ride a titanium gravel bike are probably going to buy a titanium mountain bike. Right? Of course. Or, uh, you know, or maybe they'll... Yeah, they probably will. <laughs> and the ones who ride a steel bike are probably going to buy a steel mountain bike. Yeah. Uh, and and there's good op- opportunities for that as well. Uh, and, you know, again, where you talk about the, the difference in weight isn't that big a deal. And we were talking already about, um, you know, the fact that steel full suspension bikes are are a real thing, too. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of good opportunities there. Uh, whether you look at some of the older brands that have been have been doing it for like a long time, like uh, in the UK, like Kotick, mm-hmm. or you look at the newer brands like we talked, there's a Czech uh, brand uh, uh, called Zoseli uh, that makes basically the most advanced suspension design that you can buy, but makes it out of steel, which is super unique. Um, and there's really, you know, there's opportunity for whatever you want, kind of for you know whatever your whatever your starting point
1: is. Yeah, you know what? Probably we can go on that. Then we are gonna move in this direction. You name actually uh, a couple of brands, Otseli, Kotek, and everything in this direction. The cool thing that I actually noticed into the mountain bike world more than probably it's more or less the same as well in the gravel world, but for sure it's less in the road world is a lot of little small brands that do something unique in a niche, and they are all cool. And that's super good, because on the other side, probably it comes back to the community, it comes back to the philosophy, it comes back to the market of road bikes where everybody basically has the same bike, right? Everybody uh, on the road bike, you can find them Canyon Bike, you can find them on uh, um, I don't know, Specialized Bike, Scott Bike, Track Bike, and all these kind of things. While you can see a lot more variety in the mountain bike, because they are way more branded, still, they have their niche to pick up what do you think?
0: I, I think that um, it's easy to get blinded or blinded or not to see that variety in every discipline. It's <laughs> there everywhere. You know, um, as a, an outsider looking into northern Italy, I can imagine there's so many custom, uh, you know, frame builders that are building you, you know, beautiful steel yeah. uh, road bikes. And and like that def- definitely for um, somebody that kind of looked from the outside, from North America into Europe we saw tons and tons of of you know Italian road bikes that were unique in small companies that you'd never heard of. Um, and I think a lot of that same thing happens as well in the mountain bike. It's probably just as big in uh, in gravel as it is in mountain bikes. But I think it's both uh, comes down to the fact that both you know, mountain bikes are relatively new. You know, the oh, yeah. we, we kind of you kind of mentioned, you know, the nineties, there weren't mountain bikes before the nineties at all. Um and so, you know, sure, the '90s are a long time ago, uh, right? So we're talking 30 years ago, um, but still, that's a relatively short period of time for an industry. Uh, and so, there still was that chance for the, those smaller companies to kind of be there and crop up, and and some of those still lasts. You know, I don't know how long Kotik's been making bikes, mountain bikes, steel mountain bikes in the UK, but it's been. You no know, it's been a long time 20 25 years or something like that uh, maybe longer than that i could be wrong but uh you know there's there's kind of a lot of that established companies that were there from the start you know figuring out how they could do it a little differently and a lot of it just is there's so much more variety in in mountain bikes that there is that possibility you know like if you look at road bikes if we ignored the last you know 5 years where we started to see more um kind of all road bikes as well being a thing um there really wasn't variety there was basically like oh you have a road race bike or maybe a slightly more endurancey road race bike Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't there was there was like the top goal in every category was essentially the same thing uh, plus or minus a little bit of weight here or there um and the mountain bike has always been so much more varied just by virtue of the fact that uh it suspension has such a a big, uh, play on how you're really going to use the bike. And you know, uh, uh, there's a rigid mountain bike. Uh, you think, okay, well that's super simple, right? It's a steel rigid bike. Well, okay. How big are your tires are you talking about? Are we talking about, um, a 2.2 inch rigid mountain bike and that's our cross country bike? Or are you talking about a, a five inch wide fat bike? And you're like, oh, okay, well that's a rigid mountain bike too, but it's a completely different world. Um, and in between, there's plus-size bikes that are, you know, for all – and this, that's just the rigid metal mountain bike. Uh, and then every bit of travel you add from that, you know, starting at a 80-millimeter cross-country fork to, okay, well, maybe now a 100-millimeter cross-country fork to 120-millimeter marathon fork to 140-millimeter trail bike fork to 150-millimeter all-mountain bike to 160-millimeter yeah. – travel enduro fork to a 200 millimeter travel, uh, downhill fork. And it's like, well, those, those little steps, they're little, you know, it might just be two centimeters extra travel, um, at each step, but you end up with a very distinctly different character of the ride. Um, and generally there tends to be a kind of a, a, a big enough, uh, shift in weight and a big enough shift in the plushness of that suspension to how well it climbs that you really, quickly differentiate one bike is good for this, but the other one isn't for that same thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think those, you get to so many small little markets or niches that it really makes sense for smaller companies to pick out and pick the one that they do best. Uh, and so that's why I, I think that's really why you have so many smaller companies that kind of focus on that. Um, and and even then, if you look at the bigger companies that are maybe now more established uh, from the mountain bike perspective, whether it's a you know a big mega company like Tracker or Specialized, or a big mountain bike specific company like say Santa Cruz, mm-hmm. um, in order for them to cover that same spectrum, they end up like with I don't know ten different bikes. It's true. Uh, and so those ten different bikes, like no road bike company makes ten. Well, very few road bike companies make ten different road bikes, and pretty much every single mountain bike company makes ten different mountain bikes. Uh, so. Sure, a small company isn't going to compete with uh, Trekker specialized on the number of mountain bikes they make, but they can make one or two that are really good, uh, and so they can innovate in one little area uh, and, until that you know becomes their their kind of market, and people flow to them just for that type, and they you know they have that that style of uh, whatever atmosphere or, or character that's specific for that type of riding as well. Because so you do, for sure, you get different people and different. Uh, kind of communities riding a 200 millimeter downhill bike than you do getting a you know, riding 160 170 meter Millimeter travel indoor bike.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah It makes a lot of sense and actually yeah, that's the cool thing As you were saying variety in this in all these sense make Make the difference,
0: but that's of course. That's also the terrible point. It makes it super hard as a gravel rider who comes from the road, is like, well, where do you fall in
1: that? Absolutely. Like, That's why I was asking you the question, okay, what typology of bike is a cross-country? How many? How much difference there is between a cross-country with 120 millimeter travel to a trail bike with 140 enduro bike, 160 and downhill bike, of course. At the really yes, border tricky. of the There's sp- a huge difference. Ah, you see? <laughs> uh,
0: but I think the, the, the thing is, is, you can just downright, as a road rider... Who's a gravel rider looking to go to mountain bike? You can first off ignore downhill bikes. Of course, uh, even mountain bikers ignore downhill bikes. <laughs> okay, even mountain bike companies ignore downhill bikes. They just—it's <laughs> such a small market that they don't. You know, it's—they basically make mountain bikes be, downhill bikes because they can get you know time on uh, World Cup racing schedule or something like that. But people don't buy them. There's just not enough. They're expensive. Um, the market is small, and really, the, the places you can ride them are relatively limited as well. Um, now enduro bike is the is the buzzword. Enduro is for sure the mountain bike buzzword of the last, I don't know, several years. But I think in reality, nobody needs an enduro bike either. Okay. because um, if you're a really technical rider, uh, you can ride everything that enduro bike rides on a small shorter travel bike. And if you're not a technical rider, you're not gonna even think of anything that an enduro bike's on. Okay. So you know, I, I I don't ride an enduro bike and I go to, you know, lift serve bike parks and you know, we'll spend the day just riding downhill and get, catching the chairlift back up to the top. And I don't need an enduro bike. You know, I don't need an enduro bike for that jumping over. I mean, no, I ride downhill tracks at these places, huh. and I don't need a down. And I don't need an uh, enduro bike because the downhill bike makes you go the fastest. The enduro bike makes you go a little slower. But a trail bike or all mountain bike is that kind of sweet spot in between. When I think it's just you ride it. No, a trail bike or an all mountain bike are the idea of a mountain bike. You ride off road. You ride uphill. You ride downhill. You ride everything. Okay. And I think that's maybe the sweet spot for someone looking to really get into more mountain biking, um, because it is really the, the kind of more technical capabilities. Um, but that's even I mean, that's even what I think most mountain bikers should have is just a, a trail or all mountain bike. Um, from a from a road perspective, a marathon bike or is is really nice. You know, or you know now cross-country is they are calling it there's another one there's another term we missed okay. down, country.
1: I assume, so down country down country is basically is, a trail bike trail. but it's not all i don't know
0: <laughs> it's essentially down country is a lightweight trail bike okay um, you know it, it usually means uh, 120 milliliters of travel it's also i think down country is kind of the same thing as a marathon bike the 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 intention is a little different. Like the the idea of a marathon bike is you're going to ride 120k on your mountain bike, so you want more suspension, so you're just less tired at the end of the day. Uh, but you still want something lightweight. Where the down country bike is more, you want a, a bike just for riding normal single track around your house, but you want to ride some down some steeper hills too. So it's not much different uh in perspective. Sure, you know plus or minus a degree of angle here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a decent enough variety even from brand to brand that it's you know it's kind of hard to uh, lock it down into one category or another i mean i think that cross-country bikes don't make sense unless you're racing cross-country okay but um, you mean
1: full suspended cross-country bike or also hardtail
0: even a hardtail I, like 80, 80 or 100 millimeter travel in a fork i think isn't enough okay. to benefit from it uh like if you want a really lightweight bike, it's going to be faster if it's a rigid carbon bike. Now, if you're racing on the World Cup circuit, cross country, of course, you're going to have yeah. the appropriate that bike. But um, I think a normal rider would rather uh, have 120 millimeter travel fork and 120 millimeters in the back. That that's where you start to get into that uh, marathon and down country level. Um, I think they're going to be much have much more fun with that, and you know you're more because the the point is is if you're going to go to a, a, a bike that has a suspension fork or a bike that's full suspension, uh, you have to use the suspension or it's you're just wasting it. And I am and I don't mean wasting it as, oh, it's a shame it doesn't get used. I mean you're literally going to carry it everywhere you go, every hill and down every hill. And if you get back if, – if you go for like an all-day ride and you come back, but, so your suspension has – forks and shocks have – little rubber O-rings that sit around like one fork leg and and the slider on the shock. And basically you can slide it up to um, when you're, before you get on the bike, you slide it kind of down uh, to the edge. And then when you, when you ride, you can afterwards, you see basically how much travel you moved, you use by how far that little uh, rubber O-ring goes. And if you go for an all day ride and you have the suspension, you know, you only have that little O-ring is like halfway through the travel. Then, why did you carry the whole travel around the whole day? Yes. Uh, so you clearly did something, you know, usually that just means that you don't have your suspension set up properly, which is an, is a big problem, uh, both for mountain bikers and for anyone new to mountain biking as well is getting your suspension set up properly is the most important thing. And also one of the most complicated, and I would say it's definitely the thing that most mountain bikers do wrong, uh, whether they're experienced or not. Um, um, but if you're if you have a suspension, you got to use it. Otherwise, it's just a waste of time that you're carrying it around, and it's a waste of like a kilo that you carry around for nothing. So,
1: yeah, makes yeah. sense. Makes sense. I have but, still another yeah. couple of topics that I want to drop in this conversation. One you were slightly mentioning it right now, and is maintenance. So is i think a big topic you need to be a bit more experienced if you want to uh, put your hands on the bike or just fixing little things during the ride or just probably you need to do it while on the gravel bike or on the road bike you can basically go forever until you don't listen to weird noises are you you supposed to
0: maintain your bikes Wait, is that, a, is that a thing people do, maintaining bikes? I, I don't know what you mean by that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's actually a super, super cool Instagram account that they know that is Cory fixing stuff, right? Um, we can learn oh, yeah, a lot by that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it always will teach you the good things or not. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, maintaining your mountain bike is important for sure. Um, I think the suspension is probably the least of your concerns uh, in reality. Um, of course, it's something you should do. Suspension, modern suspension is surprisingly good. Uh, if you have a full suspension bike, you're gonna have to, you know, clean and maintain the the pivot at some point because uh, basically every one of those little things that's rotating uh, is gonna need to be kept clean and maybe be, you know, taken apart and lubricated, you know, once a year or something like that. Uh, I think the bigger thing is that people just don't realize that when you have a mountain bike, you tend to ride it in worse conditions. Uh, and so that means you ride it more in mud, you ride it more in bad weather, you ride it more in, you know, really dusty conditions or something like that, that you, maybe you wouldn't expose, you definitely wouldn't expose a road bike to. Uh, and, you know, depending on who you are, you might not expose your gravel bike to the same things. So, you know, you're going to end up having to rebuild the free hubs in your wheels. Uh, you're going to have to uh, you know change the bearings in your bottom bracket, you know, every year or two years or something like that. And you're like, well, that's weird. I didn't think I had to do that. Or, you know, you pull out your headset and you're like, oh no, what is living inside my headset? There's like some, it used to be grease and now it's some like, uh, you know, black cocoa or something like that. Um, the so, pedals yeah, course, as
1: well. You you actually can take out uh, the pedals yeah, and oh, loop yeah, in them. You usually never do it on a road bike. But, I need to
0: maintain my pedals. But uh, that's a big thing in gravel, right, as well. Um, yeah, it depends. It depends a lot on your pedals. I mean, uh, if you ride Shimano xt or xtr pedals
1: i do it on my gravel bike you can forget about that
0: you just like exactly you you change them every eight to ten years and you'll be fine yeah um i don't prefer those i ride in a lot of really rough conditions like super muddy super icy stuff conditions and i ride a lot with crank brothers pedals i love crank brothers pedals because they work in like miserable conditions sand and stuff where nothing else really works smoothly but they need to be greased regularly. Mm. And I have a bunch of pedals and some of them are in pretty sad shape because I'm like, Oh, I, I think I greased these ones already. And then it's like, no, I, no. I didn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, so for sure. I mean, that's really just, it's less mountain bike versus gravel bike. It's the more we ride off road, the more maintenance your bikes need. Um, and that means it's more important that you keep your chain clean. that clean you Clean use- your
1: drive train. My friend Andrea yeah. will actually shout at me for that. Clean uh, the drive train is super important.
0: Stop using whatever chain lube you're using and get the right chain lube. So, okay. You know, like every every company that makes chain lube makes condition specific chain lube, uh, and that means that if you ride in dry dusty conditions, you have to ride uh, lube that is you know wax lube that doesn't uh, attract that dust, and if you ride in wet conditions, you have to have you know wet lube that stays there. But you know, it, yeah, definitely clean your clean your chain, clean your drivetrain, and really use the the proper. Uh, condition-specific lube because it's like, what does the bottle of lube cost? Like, 10, ten euros or something, uh, and it makes all the difference. Absolutely. In, in keeping your bike kind of running operational, um, you, you the more you ride off-road, the more harder you're going to be on brake pads as well. Brake pads definitely. We have a kind of an ongoing uh competition at home between my wife and I, <laughs> as who will who will run wear a set of brake pads down until there's no braking material left and
1: the <laughs> no rotors we, as well
0: <laughs> yeah but the rotors i guess we have enough rotors it's not such a problem like <laughs> that but for sure I, I thought she was crushing me for a while in uh in in the kind of wearing situation and then i don't know i guess we had like uh, a couple weeks where we rode some really long mountain bike rides and i wasn't paying attention to the bike at all and got to the end and actually she had problems with her brake pad. So I gave her my uh, rear brake pads, which had not really been used because I don't use, you know, whatever. I stick with the, using the front brake as much as possible. Gave her my rear brake pads and switched, swapped mine around. And like two weeks later, I realized that I should have replaced my brake pads and I had worn them all, all the way down. So yeah. Replace your brake pads regularly, inspect them, keep your bike clean-ish. Um, you know. Not, it's a mountain bike. It's not supposed to be super clean, but you know, clean, clean around the pivots, and definitely that's the thing. So the suspension, if you keep this the sliding part where the you know clean at the seal, it's there. It's surprising how little maintenance you really have to do. Like, sure, you should have somebody service the uh, the fork, fork and shock. You know, I, I should tell you every year, uh, but if you keep it clean, it's probably fine. Like every two or three years, hmm. in reality. Um, but, uh, it's, it's generally a fork and shock service isn't something you're going to do at home. Uh, it's definitely, I mean, you probably, anyone who can kind of get around mechanics can figure it out, but it's so much easier to have it. I, I mean, I used to do it and I worked in a shop, you know, several decades ago and I don't, I don't maintain any, any of the suspension anymore. I take it to somebody that I know and trust that I can just drop it off. Uh, Cause it's, you know, it's one of those things, unless you do it all the time. You're going to spend like three times as much time
1: to get the same benefit out of it. Um, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. So, the other topic that I want to drop, and it's the second last one actually, is on about. So, we know that actually, usually, mountain bike is a bit more relaxing tef- in terms of what your putting on top of it, so what you are wearing. And I mean, I have seen a lot of mountain bikers, people going on the mountain bike with, I don't know, something like a Vian shirt, and I really like it, or uh, normal shorts or shoes. Okay, it's better to have something like clipless shoes if you want to use the clipless pedals, but that's what it is. Helmets, of course, is super important. But what else? Do you need something else, something like specific protection or specific or specific uh, chamois, something like this?
0: well you're required by the UCI to, to stay uh, uh, baggy right so
1: uh, as you see, see. Eh, by UCI <laughs> baggy is absolutely i usually go out with also on my gravel bike also with the pajama trousers it happens <laughs> and it happened
0: well you know cuz the it, they basically the the mountain bikers realized in the, like the know, early 2000s that they're actually faster and more aero in skin tight clothing <laughs> and and greg minar won the downhill world championship in like a skin suit and then the you know the UCI says, no, no, that's bad. We have to maintain mountain bike looks. so it had to be baggy. But now you wear whatever. I mean I think the I think the especially coming from the road to gravel to mountain bike, wear whatever you're comfortable with. I mean I, I ride uh I definitely ride cross country rides in full lycra. Um because like especially winter um you know I'm wearing tights and I'm wearing a, a, a tight fitting jacket because it's the Thing that's going to keep me comfortable and warm and not get in the way. Um, sure, baggies are, you know, I would say generally uh, preferred uh, by a lot of people. Um, and for more like recreational trail riding, people are going to wear more baggy clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's it's a you have to kind of be careful and not get too over, take it too overboard. It's the same thing with gravel. Like it's nice to wear something you know that's more comfortable, but that doesn't mean it has to be more baggy. Um, like, uh, a Hawaiian shirt that's cotton, uh, in the spring or fall is a terrible idea. Like, you know, cause all of a sudden you're going to sweat on the climb and then you've got this wet, nasty cotton thing stuck to your back, chilling you to death on the descents. And it's the same thing on the mountain bike. You don't want to wear a, a, you know, a bunch of, you don't want to wear a downhill baggy, you know, long sleeve jersey, uh, and ride it on a, on a cross country bike. And then you've got this thing flapping in the breeze like a sail attached to you. You know, you want to find some kind of happy medium. Um, I'd say generally when I go ride a bike park, I'm riding more baggy ish clothes, but that's generally because then you can put, you know, a forearm pad underneath of it in case you're going to worry about, you know, crashing or, yeah. you know, the same thing. Protecting probably. Have a, Baggy pants that could have some, you know, knee protection as well. Mm. And I guess that comes that comes back to what what kind of protections you need. Yeah. Uh, well, for for normal trail riding, you probably don't need anything. Um, but you know yourself better than anyone else. So if you're going to crash, if you're worried about crashing, you wear more protection. I mean, my my wife is an amazing mountain biker. Uh, she doesn't have the confidence though. So she wears basically a, a set of knee pads that basically go from the top of her knee all the way almost down to her shoe, like all the way down her shin. And she wears them pretty much anytime we're going to go uh, down anything steep, even if she's pedaling up to the top of it. Uh, so we have some really good technical trails kind of on the northern border called Trutnoth Trails, one of my favorite places to ride. And it's super rocky. Like you ride rock slabs and, you know, rock drops and things like that on it um and she, yeah she always will have full knee protection there and usually will have arm pads as well like the lightweight arm pads now i usually will go there and i'll ride with a knee pad that essentially just covers my knee and down a little bit in the front mm-hmm. um but yeah you know it's, it's a lot it just depends on, the, on each individual user you know your You'll pick your helmet based on what protection you want. You'll pick your knee pads. Um, You know, a lot of people like back protection. Um, A lot of people are concerned that they're going to slip out and crash, uh, end up on their back, and that, you know, you want to protect your spine. Um, It's an easy one uh, because a lot of mountain bikers are wearing, uh, like, a Camelback-style backpack anyway, and a lot of new, uh, better backpacks have built-in protection. Uh, you know, just basically just a, a smartphone pad or something that goes along your spine and protects you in case you crash. Uh, so you you basically again it's you know you you determine how crazy you're going to go and that's what you you prepare for. Uh, there's literally an unlimited uh, number of options. Uh, my my generally I my protection when I go mountain biking is I wear a proper mountain bike helmet that covers like a bit deeper down the back of your head. Mm -hmm. um for for normal trail riding uh always full-fingered gloves um because the first thing you're going to do when you come off the uh, mountain bike is put your hands down and slide along the ground i do the same thing on a gravel bike i pretty much never ride a gravel bike without full-fingered gloves okay um because you know you you crash a gravel bike and you put your hand down and then you can't hold on to the drop bar for like six weeks or something crazy like that uh and you know a, a good pair of gloves are it's pretty easy to get ones that are nicely vented and stuff now. So, um, and yeah, so for, for trail riding, I generally will, uh, if we're riding somewhere that's like really rocky or really steep, I'll wear knee pads. Um, And if we're doing a lot of climbing and I don't like, I don't feel like I need them all the time. I'll just put them on a backpack, uh, you know, put the knee pads in a backpack, carry them along and just put them on when I ride or even the, you know, the cool kids, uh, which sometimes is me sometimes isn't uh we'll just you know you basically just take the knee pads and you slide them down the back of your thighs when you're climbing up uh so you don't overheat in them and then just pull them on to cover your knees at the top
1: okay yeah it makes a lot of sense so i have the last topic and this vocabulary do you really need to use all these kind of super fancy words if you're a mountain biker no gnarly sand it uh there are something else i, I thing, right so you should do it
0: uh yeah you you totally don't need to uh i have a bad i maybe I'm a bad uh one to ask about that because i use a bunch of weird vocabulary anyway um <laughs> and i'll say sweet and awesome a lot more than it's absolutely necessary
1: um also awesome is also my problem but, i say awesome for everything
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah it's super awesome sweet <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, yeah rad yeah. Uh, maybe um, rad
1: is also another word yeah it's true
0: yeah no definitely you don't need to do it um i'd say it's best not uh Use any of that vocabulary. It's, you know, learn the vocabulary like um, uh, preload and rebound and compression adjustment and you know clicks. Like these are the learn the technical words and don't worry about the don't worry about the sh- uh, you know shredding and and stuff like that. Because if you try to do any of those, you're just going to get them wrong and you're going to look like a roadie who's trying to ride off road and <laughs> then people are going to laugh at you and push you off the side of the trail. And, um, yeah. So figure out the technical terms and ignore the, the trendy shreddy ones and leave those alone. <laughs> yeah. let you open more, more trouble. You know, <laughs> it's important to learn all the different terms for different types of post ride beers though. Um, because post ride beer is super important. Um, and you know, you need to learn the terms like that are related to the beers after the ride and different ways to get you to the top of the hill. So like uplifts, so, okay. those are good. Uh, and you don't need to use them, you just need to know them in the back of your head, so that when somebody offers, you know, some post-ride APA or something, you can have some clue what they're talking about.
1: Okay, so. that's perfect. And, uh, yeah, I can see the point. But actually, so, if you want to be a mountain biker, you have to substitute, basically, coffee with beers.
0: Pretty much, yeah. I mean, you can do coffee if you're, like, you know, some cross-country racer kind of guy, I guess. Um, then you need, But you also need, like, you know, other things. You need fuel, So you need, like, donuts. Uh, maybe waffles uh, waffles are quite popular the the fast mountain bikers but yeah the you know the the slower you go and the steeper you go the more it turns into just different types of beer I think.
1: <laughs> okay okay so you can get beers also before riding not just after i
0: mean no you should I, I can <laughs> say very clearly Anyone who's a road rider who's getting into mountain biking, do not drink beers before you ride. <laughs> okay. You're not going to be in control anyway, and the last thing you need is to slow your uh, reaction time down. Uh, sure, once you're a really good mountain biker, you can stop for that mid ride beer or you know a pre pre gaming a little bit, but definitely no no roadie come grapple biker come mountain biker should even think of, <laughs> of you know limiting their reaction time. Uh, you know that's the we definitely, as a mountain biker, we make fun of those roadies. You know? uh, <laughs> I can give the points. It's, it definitely has to do with, you know, uh, pack riding mentality, super tight clothes, and no ability to control your bike in the turns. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you fight those, like, three uh, stigmas or, you know, prejudices, and then all the mountain bikers will be totally, you know, fine with you. Mountain bikers are friendly. Uh, just, you know, don't try to draft them. Say half wheeling is fine in mountain bikes. Really? Yeah, totally, totally acceptable. Yeah, I mean you can half wheel people because nobody is drafting. So you're just there like trying to catch up or you know say hi. But yeah, exactly. Uh it's 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 interesting. Some of the things that's super bad on a road bike and nobody gives nobody cares on the mountain bike. It just depends, you know, when you can actually ride next to each other. A lot of times you're half wheeling because there's not room to ride next to each other. Uh, Because trails are too narrow, but there's enough that you can kind of sneak up behind and and be close enough that you can actually hear someone versus just being, you know, stuck back on their wheel. So that's probably the the difference there.
1: No, that's super cool. And actually, the thing that actually fascinated me a lot about mountain biking and stuff is that you just, especially when you're checking, I don't know, enduro trails, enduro rides and enduro races themselves, people usually go up the mountain together Chitty chatting helping each other, or just I don't know, sharing food or whatever. Then, of course, the downhill, everything, everybody is by himself, trying to be as fast as possible. But going uphill is just kind of a party, and that's the thing that I really like. Yeah,
0: and you greet greet every other mountain biker.
1: You do Say the same. In ro- Sometimes you do Wait. every uh, the same on-road bike. It depends on where you ride, but usually when you are going cross-crossing with each other, usually you say hi. Otherwise, it's really difficult that people are just waving at you while you're passing you on the mountains. Basically, there's mingling. Yeah,
0: you know, of course, it, it obviously depends when it gets to, like, you know, you're not saying hello to every single person like that, and there's, like, hundreds of people you're only constantly saying hi. But um, definitely, uh, mountain bikers are going to be more open to each other. Uh, and so, you know, if, if you if you're riding on a bike path out of the city, uh, every mountain biker will wave at the other mountain biker they go by if it's not like ten thousand people. Um and the mountain biker will wave at the gravel riders and the mountain biker will wave at the roadies sometimes as well, but never will it happen the other way around. So
1: I don't know. Uh, I don't yeah, know. It's, I can tell it's, you it's that definitely
0: more of a inclusive uh community in theory. Yes. Um and of course there's, you know, there's sex or division that like cross country racers and downhill racers that are oh, free riders who are who are too cool for the other ones um, but you know most people are just out to ride their bike in the forest and have fun so you know, say hi go on going by
1: yeah I usually have a technique I, I really wave at everybody especially if I'm in the trails I wave at everybody people with a car people with dogs people walking people smiling people dancing if they don't answer me back I do like this so they will hear yeah, me, they well. <laughs> because they, uh, they yeah. can hear me that they didn't wave me back. At at least they should feel bad on that, because you are out. I, I just. sometimes
0: just say, I just sometimes say um, bad things under my breath as we ride past people. Like, ah, come on, they're not too good to say hi to me. Yeah, you know. but uh, uh, one real thing about that though is for someone coming from the road is you need to actually understand a li- little more trail etiquette. Uh, so without having that experience, just like you have to learn to ride in a group on the road you have to learn how to ride the trail uh responsibly and a lot of that means um uh interacting with people who are not on bikes uh, so you're gonna as, as a, a road rider or a gravel rider coming to a mountain bike you are going to encounter uh people dogs horses off road in tight tight quarters and uh you know you have to be respectful you basically have to um have the philosophy that you yield to whoever is going slower than you um and that's sometimes tricky uh but one of the big problems that has kind of plagued mountain bikers is uh access to good trails because there's there's like infinite amounts of trails around the world that are would be great to ride on a, bi- a mountain bike um and some of them you can't ride because of basically trail conflict um and so you know you it's it is really important to understand like don't ride up fast behind anyone um at all Uh, whether you know whether they're on a bike or whether they're walking or whether they're riding a horse or something um and yeah just you know announce let people know you're there bells are good uh whistlers right uh I wouldn't whistle um I don't I'd say basically either use your voice or a bell um and try to find a bell that is not terribly aggressive sounding yeah um uh but yeah, definitely. Um, you know, be be reasonable and understand uh, other people around you. And you know, there will be a lot, one of the biggest troubles is people walking dogs on on leashes or even off leashes. Who the the person has less of sense of what's going on in the trail around them than the dog does. You know, the dogs are dogs are pretty smart. They try not to get run over um, by things. Uh, but the person all of a sudden will run across the middle of the trail to get to their dog or or step right directly into your path even when you're you know you think everything is under control and and it depends it depends where you are in some places like in the u.s it's a big problem passing people on horseback uh and here in i'd say in the czech republic it's much less of an issue uh where you know there's more of an egalitarian sense between different trail users but uh in any case it, it is super important um in being respectful of other people on the trail um as, as a mountain biker, because it's it's really easy to uh, cause a bad impression. And anytime if you pass somebody close, it's it's basically you just figure um, it's the same thing as when a car passes close to you when you're rock when you're riding on the road or gravel road or something. Um, it's the same thing if you pass uh, a a biker or if you're a, a mountain biker and you pass a person. Uh, the only difference is um, you're gonna forget about the car that passed really close to you because it happens so often. Uh, and that person hiking won't forget about it. Um, okay. They're going to remember it, and they're going to say, oh, I hate mountain bikers, because one person passed them uh, really closely. So, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. That's Makes a, sense.
0: Definitely a big issue. Uh,
1: last sharp question, Corey. Then, should I give it a try? Should I give it a try on mountain bike?
0: Should you ride mountain bikes? Yeah. Of course. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's no question. Of course you should try it. I mean, the trick is how, you know, it's because... You don't want to go out and spend five thousand euros on a mountain bike. That's and realize not that in the plan. Not much fun. Um, but if you think you are going to, if you think you want to try mountain bike, then you probably know a mountain biker. Tell them and they'll let you borrow a bike. Um, I would say that almost every mountain biker I know will give you their bike. Absolutely. Um, and say, hey, go try it. Uh, and if if you don't know mountain bikers, go to a bike shop and uh, and ask them if they rent bikes because they probably will as well. Um, but yeah, it's definitely worth worth trying out on mountain bikes. They're fun.
1: Perfect, Cody. Thanks a lot. It was an awesome chat. Now I just waiting for the day that we can ride mountain bikes together.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it's probably not too far away. Hopefully. Uh, you know, summertime summertime is a good time to go mountain biking. Absolutely. Uh, and if that, that If that doesn't work, I like riding in the autumn even
1: better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it's the best. The best time of riding for me is autumn. And like we have done already last year, the Bohemian Border Bash, it was awesome. By the way, you took a part of an article that they wrote for an Italian magazine while we were actually going up on this super steep climb. And I was carrying the bike because it didn't make sense for me to ride. And you arrived riding your bike shouting, it's not worth it. It's not worth <laughs> it. You are way faster than me. <laughs> this is exactly the thing that you said.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely can be a bad thing. I was, I was, I'm pretty sure I was actually riding a mountain bike uh, this year at the Border Bash as well. Definitely the 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 first day we were there, I was riding. I was riding on the open wide, ah, sí. um, which is like uh, it's basically a mountain bike, um, and I had. Um, like a two point four inch tire on the first day. <laughs> okay. That was definitely a mountain bike tire. I switched it up to like a two inch tire for the next day, but yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, the, the beauty of a mountain bike is you can ride every gravel ride as well. So yeah. uh, you know, it's usually a little slower, and the gearing's a little lower. Uh it helps you get up some of the steep hills. But, you know, it's it's a bike. It's got it's it's got wheels, it rolls, it stops. It's all the same. It's got its brakes, it's a mountain bike, so you already, ride, you already ride a mountain bike. You just didn't
1: know it. No, I can tell you that usually my gravel bike, my personal gravel bike, is an open and 650B is 2.2 inches mountain bike.
0: Yeah. A mountain
1: bike. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. Yeah, my
0: wife has the same bike. Yeah, it's definitely, she definitely rides it like a mountain bike sometimes too. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing that actually will push me on doing that. Cool. Cool, Cody. Thanks a lot for your time then. My pleasure. I talk to you soon.
0: Yeah. Ciao.
1: So, I have to avoid using that vocabulary. So, not never saying gnarly, send it, um, slack, um, steezy, uh, brap. Yeah, otherwise, I will sound like a roadie jumping into the mountain bike world. It's good to know. I truly believe on the other side that sweet and awesome. I cannot take them out of my vocabulary. They are really into my vocabulary locked in as crazy. So I will continue to use it. Hopefully it's going to be everything fine. And they need also uh, to learn how to clean my drivetrain and also in the future, maybe my suspensions. But I'm still looking already for a mountain bike. So if everybody out there wants to... Give me any tip on what mountain bike to get or everything like this, just let me know because I truly believe that summer, even if it's impossible to find bicycles in this period, but maybe a second hand mountain bike. If somebody's selling a second hand mountain bike, give me a shout. I am something like a short legged 175 centimeters guy. Uh, so, yeah, first experience on mountain bikes. If you have something, let me know let's jump into the next topic so tips from how to plan your mountain bike track on Komoot you have to know that actually there is a classification on Komoot when you're planning your mountain bike route so you are in your route planner and uh, you are checking your route you are actually closing your loop using the planner for mountain bike and you will see actually differences on the single track something like a classification a scale of single track you have all the levels from S0 that are classic, something like super easy, that you can go, also with a road bike, on these single trails, till S5. If the S0 are actually bluish blue, then there is S2 that are starting being red, and then all down to the super black S5. So, please, when you are planning your mountain bike uh, trip, or route, or track, remember that you have to consider that it's better... Yeah, you know this classification, you want to know more about the classification, it's super easy. Go on komoot.com, slash, help, slash, MTB, like mountain bike, dash, scale, and there you will find all the different guides and actually the guide, with all the classification, all the scales of this single track. Do it, because this is way more important than a lot of other things. I mean, probably a solid helmet is more important than that, but, you know, uh, if you want to jump on a track that you don't know how it is, following this scale is going to be better. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of drop to flat how a gnarly gravel bike rider like calamaro can be introduced to the mountain bike world thanks a lot to cory for being there Uh, if you want to follow him let me check because the point is that i know his instagram account but it's actually kind of a fake you have to know that cory fixes everything you cannot have a ride with him without him stopping for fixing something for you for himself or from whoever is all around. So his proper Instagram account is Corey Wade Benson. I mean, Corey is C-O-R-Y-W-A-D-E, Wade Benson, B-E-N-S-O-N, Corey Wade Benson. Otherwise, you can find also the super amazing uh, kind of satirical account that is Corey... Wait, I'm checking it. Cory fixing stuff. Instagram. Let's check. I'm Googling it with you. Why? I, I cannot find it. Here you go. Here you go. It's super cool that I'm doing this thing here with you people. I don't know. Who cares? This is reality podcasting. Cory. Okay. Cory underscore fixing underscore stuff. It's really, really a lot of fun. It's kind of a supporter, uh, a supporter's club for Cody fixing stuff in all his gravel rides. And remember that he rides as well for Bike Rumor, so you will find himself talking about bicycles and stuff and all the theories that we heard about already on Bike Rumor. I think that that's it. Episode number two is going to be next Friday. Remember to share, subscribe, comment, rate... a lot of stars over there and make this podcast pumping into the mountain bike world and if you want to support me uh just with something more than just a share subscribe and blah 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 blah, remember that you can go on ko-fi.com so ko dash fi.com slash broomwagonpodcast so you can drop me some coins and support me for all this content that I'm sending around and also if you go on my Instagram account a lot of information today and you go on the link in bio also there you will find a way to subscribe to my newsletter that is always a good point of cycling stories and also some personal stories as well bye I would say
0: sound right boy